Hello, and welcome back to the Strange Water podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. This podcast derives its name from a quote by Frank Herbert, the author of Dune. Survival is the ability to swim in strange water. Well, suffice it to say that the world of crypto is very strange water, made even more dangerous because it's largely uncharted. And while we don't yet have maps, we can learn from the people who are jumping headfirst into these choppy seas. And sometimes you're right out there with these swimmers, possibly struggling to keep your own head above water. These are the moments where the questions change from how to keep swimming to why am I even out here? Today's conversation is an emphatic answer by Aham and Tenzin of Silo Finance. Silo is a protocol that provides risk-isolated money markets on Ethereum and Arbitrum. And while you'll learn a lot about Silo, we get so much bigger. This conversation begins in the weeds of the borrowing and lending market within DeFi and ends with an exploration of what binds us to DeFi and Ethereum, building a legitimately free and fair financial system. Before we begin, please do not take financial advice from this or any other podcast. Ethereum and decentralized finance will change the world one day but you can easily lose all of your money in the process. All right, let's start the show. AJ Tenzin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Rex. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, um, you know, I think before we kind of get into anything, even get into silo, let's just kind of do background. So AJ, would you start us off? Give us a little bit about who you are, um, what, how you like learned and became an adult, and then what brought you to crypto? I'm, um, my name is AJ, or I am uh, one of the founders of uh, Silo. Uh, super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, well, uh, you know, I've been uh, I've been in the industry for like since 2015. Uh, read a couple of uh, white papers. You know, all of a sudden turned uh, degen like like instantly. Uh, you know. Uh, got into uh, a uh, had the opportunity to do a couple of uh, startups uh, didn't work at basically project that never matured uh, to become uh, uh, a project uh, or the blockchain project uh, yeah my background is uh, economics uh, and, uh, and and growth uh, hacking um, uh, so yeah that's uh, it's, uh, so I've studied economics uh, marketing you know and I've been I've been doing that since uh, since then. Very cool. And Tenzin, what about you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, me, I, you know, I'm still working on the becoming an adult part, but uh, I, uh, <laughs> I've i been uh, in crypto since uh, I would say 2017, 2016 was my first dabble. Uh, I started actually middlemaning uh, Bitcoin. So just doing like essentially like my own little freelance business through like Paxful and those types of services. Um, and, uh, and I d did really well. And then actually I dropped off, I dropped the ball there. Uh, and then, uh, I came back to the space, um, when I, uh, joined uh, a fund and, uh, really I started getting involved with, um, a ton of DAOs more than anything, uh, and contributing and, you know, even, uh, you know, signing on multi-sigs and whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, very excited about the space. Uh, Silo was probably the project I was the most excited about. Uh, you know, like the whole, the whole, the whole, since I've been into crypto, right. And, uh, that also comes from the part that I was a big Rari fan, but, um, I'm so excited that, uh, that, uh, I got to join the project. Very cool. So, um, I think that's a great opportunity to pivot to silo. And so we can like, uh, have a foundation for the, this conversation. And, um, what I really want to talk to you guys is about like what debt means and why this is an exciting place to be, but. Um, AJ, will you, would you just give um, the background of Silo, um, basically the origin story, what you got got you excited and into the problem space, and then ultimately, like, what is Silo? Yeah, well, the story started back uh, in the crypto summer, farming many tokens, and now you need to, uh, you know, to leverage, you need to uh, to take loans, you need to basically diversify your portfolio, whatever, and there's no lending uh um there's no there are no lending markets so that's what was really the idea uh to be honest back then we i never i didn't know much about the risk in uh, in the current uh, iterations of the lendings back then it was ave uh, v2 and compound uh, 
uh, also uh, uh, v2 uh, and then we got to know when we started thinking about creating lending markets for these super risky uh, you know uh, uh, crypto assets so we got to know uh, the risk involved in the and in, uh, in the current uh, uh, lending protocols and why they cannot list they cannot whitelist those uh, risky assets as as uh, as collateral so you could not use them to take debt basically um uh and and then this idea of of, of silo was created and obviously uh Rarib then was at its uh, prime creating this isolated shared pool though uh, so you still uh, was 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 it was a great idea uh, i think and great implementation obviously uh so that was really the idea to, to fix this problem well um who can say a collateral is should be used uh, uh, or a certain asset should be collateral or not? Is it governance? Is it the users of the community? For example, uh, Pepe is hot today. Maybe in their community they trust it as collateral. Maybe someone they will find someone to provide loan uh, to be the counterpart risk, uh, a risk counterpart for Pepe. Uh, who can decide that? Well, certainly Ave governance can say no. Uh, and they have the right to, and they should actually say no the way that Ave is designed. But maybe, uh, in and they can get a, a certain isolated market, and then they these users who believe uh, in the in the worthiness of of Pepe as collateral, they can actually extend loans to them. So that was really the solution. The solution is create isolated markets, and then these isolated markets you just connect basically a lender on borrower, on the two sides, and then uh, that's that's. That's how DeFi can scale, how debt can scale. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, all of us who, um, it's funny, Tenzin, for you to say that you still have growing up to do when I'm sitting here with a, you know, 2015er and a 2017er as a 2021er being like, oh my God, I, everything I say comes from inexperience. But um, I think any, any of us that were um, around during that time, like saw Rari as something that was like really exciting and different and like really showed that you can take these, you know, primitive ideas uh, that were, you know, like obvious and like put them into motion and like they would work. Um, and then, you know, at least in my opinion, it was a real tragedy to watch that hack happen. Um, and, uh, you know, the end of a, like what I thought was a, a great protocol and a great team. And so... Um, Tenzin, you said that like that whole episode was um, kind of important to you in like finding, getting excited about Silo. And AJ, as you, as you mentioned, you've already, uh, you know, the idea was in motion, if not already launched. How did that like cataclysmic moment in, you know, the DeFi lending space, like really change what, how both of you saw um, the entire industry and like what lessons did you take away and how you're um, building silo. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I can say that for, um, Rari, I mean, the really thing that I hadn't found silo until after the Rari hack. Uh, but for, for me, really the, uh, it's not so much the hack that changed my perception as much as it was Rari itself, which was, okay, how can we do this in a safe manner? Because I just looked at all the other models and I was, uh, trying to get some tokens listed and with Ave and, and it was uh, just a nightmare and it, impossible. And it, and it's, as Aham says, right, it's, it would be irresponsible for them uh, to do such a thing. Um, but uh, I think the Rari hack really taught us that um, you need some form of, of structure or commonality um, among the markets, right? Like the, the Rari hack is still due to the exact same issue, right? It was still because of the shared pool model that they were able to pair multiple assets that had high risk profiles together. Um, whereas when you're talking about uh, silo, we pair things with common assets, which are very trusted assets, right? So it's ETH uh, and USDC and ETH and, and Xi on uh, Ethereum. Uh, on Arbitrum, we use USDC and on Ethereum, we use our own stablecoin. Right? Yeah, you know, uh, I remember like when we entered ETH uh, Global Hackathon uh, to work on the idea, to work on the proof of concept, to see the initial response. Uh, Rari was there, obviously. Uh, I think Rari uh, Fuse Pools, in specific the Fuse Pools, uh, were basically uh, a different versions of Ave, and each version you can ascribe like a, 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 a risk profile to it. Like this is super degen, this is less, That's that was the idea. But technically speaking, yes, they all shared the, the technical infrastructure with a compound fork, each one of them. But technically each fork you could 
play with it. He could amend it. So that's why the the hack didn't really affect every single version of the pool. There are actually a couple of them, but not every one of them because they not they they took the 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 code. They created they they made some some adjustments to each one of them depending. For example, like if if there was a a, a shared pool, a, a fuse pool. Uh, for LP tokens that they had to do a couple of adjustments to it. So and then but but the adjustments wouldn't apply to every single already deployed pool. Uh, so the idea was was for us. We know that there is a, 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 a demand for borrowing against uh, exotic tokens. Uh, that's otherwise underserved. We call them underserved uh, crypto assets because simply no one accepts them as collateral. Uh, but we didn't like really the the. Uh, we wanted to give kind of uniform way uh, as far as the counterpart the, the, the counterpart uh, taking the risk uh, someone providing you with with eth someone providing you with usdc uh, and obviously each each market could implement a curve uh, interest um, uh, rates uh, interest rate curve uh, such that if it's super risky if let's say you're lending usdc against pepe i would probably demand an average of Variable rate still, but 30, 40% maybe, right? which, which we have seen with, with Riot back then. So we've learned a lot of, uh, uh, fr from them. And it happened before uh, the Rari, Rari uh, hack was just really incidental, unfortunately. I think uh, they, they could have probably, if they had, probably they didn't have much interest in continuing the project because, you know, things happen, right? Things happen and these guys are builders, uh, great builders, great innovators. Uh, and, and probably they lost some interest or something happened. I don't know, but it wasn't really the reason I think of for 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 losing that business. I think. Yeah, and this is definitely not a Rari podcast. We don't need to like litigate it. But I I think you're definitely <laughs> right that the the lesson of that was much more in you know in about like politics and like legalities and like weird things about like value changes during like the reimbursement period or. Your point is that that project fell apart during the social layer and not because of like the concept or the code or um, anything. Exactly, uh, but but as far as risk isolation, I think Rari got validated. Obviously, they had found they had a great uh, product market fit at one point, uh, but this idea clicked uh, in the people's mind. And also the silos clicked in people's mind. It was October, November. We, we had graduated from um, uh, graduated ETH Global. Um, uh, was was I think it was Cream the second hack of Cream Finance, and uh, and and uh, and before that was was Fuse. Uh, I'm sorry, not Fuse. Uh, sorry, um, which one on the Binance Smart Chain? Uh, um, Venus. Uh, Venus. Venus got hacked. The same way it was exactly it was like Ave, but then they had whitelisted uh, Venus, uh, the VXS, I think it was was called. Uh, so then people started thinking like, oh wow, I'm well, how? Because I'm depositing USDC into this pool. So how how come someone borrowed my USDC with something else? Like uh, uh, so, people didn't understand this concept of shared pool, um, and. Uh, it, and and I think uh, it's still people don't know. I think ninety percent of DeFi today still don't know anything about risk isolation or the risk of of lending in general, the debt, taking a debt basically. Yeah, taking take. And some sometimes actually when I explain that to people, they're like, "Isn't that what I, when I explain like how Silo works and how we do risk isolation?" They're like, "Wait, that's that's not how Ave works," and then they're like confused, and then I have to explain to them, and they're like they get really good they're like oh wow like i didn't know it was this is what i was dealing with uh even some uh people from teams that i will not name didn't didn't know that, uh, a lot of these facts um so yeah i mean i think we're dealing with uneducation yeah like let it let it be clear right there this is not a moral statement it's a factual statement that like with ave like it the whole foundation of that is like you're basically trusting in they will not pick like whack assets and their capital base is so big that even if something happens, you're probably not going to get wiped out. And like, that's a model you can run at $10 billion. And if $10 billion is significant in the market, like it is for Aave and crypto, but in the real world, that doesn't work. And for silo, that doesn't work. And like, you're, you're kind of answering that with the first principles, like different way of thinking about lending. Right. And it doesn't need to be, a bad asset, by the way, it could also be a very good asset, but a liquid asset. 
if an asset becomes illiquid, then you also run a, a run a risk of of bad debt, which we've seen briefly. We've seen briefly with when Curve uh, squeeze happened uh, with the Avi, uh, I think was his name, attacked the uh, Ave protocol. Yeah, yeah. Avi, <laughs> but Ave. you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, I I think that is there's there's a very curious thing that's happening in crypto where we have recognized that if you lock things off of the market, like the mathematical function of that is like the same amount of value is expressed through fewer tokens or whatever. And so therefore the price is higher and like we rejoice, right? Like that, that kind of is like the fundamental principle of ETH staking at first principles and then curve and curve locking and all that stuff. And the flip side of that is we are like soaking up as much liquidity as possible and that makes lending like more and more scary as like um, crypto becomes like further and further down this road. And so none of us here are trying to say like throw any shade at Aave or suggest that that kind of model shouldn't exist. But like, especially as um, crypto like evolves from like four guys who understand what we're doing, issuing two assets to like the entire world entering this open platform, like it becomes important to deal with this risk. And like these isolated markets are, um, you know, at, at least how I can think of the safest way you can do lending. Like you can only borrow what your collateral is. Right. It's it's not different from uh, what Curve USD is doing, the primitive, the, lend, the stable coin primitive. Each version, you could mint it in a single collateral, name it whatever you want, and it would be completely risk isolated from another version that is minted by a, a token asset you don't trust, but just don't use the other one, but completely isolated. So actually, that's a great segue into the next question I wanted to ask you guys, which is that I think there's a lot of like really interesting innovations that are happening on in the lending, uh, DeFi lending space, right? And if, if we can say that the kind of first explosion of DeFi creativity and lending space was like Aave, Maker, Compound, um, it seems like we're now entering a world where like things are becoming much more sophisticated and like interesting. And whether that's like silos, isolated markets or vendor finance um, implementing <laughs> something that some people call call options, some people call unliquidatable loans or, um, you know, even a, like a third model, which is this curve USD. Right. I think like there's a lot of like more interesting, diverse things that are going on here. And I guess um, I'll throw it to either of you. When you see like the innovation that's happening in the DeFi space, like what are the things that are that you think are really interesting and DeFi native and cool that we should be excited about? And what are some of the features that, um, you know, maybe are a little bit more concerning or maybe like less safe than we understand um, at first glance? Yeah, I mean, uh, the stuff that I'm most excited about would probably be uh, I, I like kind of like the the math heavy stuff, right? So I, I do I'm really excited about what Curve is doing with uh, with the, with Curve USD and the, and the lending component really that it is, um, and how they've managed to uh, essentially create a, a a it's more it's more than a than a than a Dex, right? It's now mm -hmm. a complete financial product because it has the stable coin, it has the lending protocol and it has uh, the DEX, right? Although to a limited extent, the lending protocol, but um, but it does. And, and so I think uh, the one who brings it together uh, will probably win. Um, and the one who creates, you know, this the safest stable coin. Yeah, I, can, I, I can I can add yeah I can maybe add a little bit. So we, this is a kind of conversation. I think stable coin we have not yet. Uh, so if you think about DeFi as a, it should be like a one big, it should should be one ecosystem and a sticky one. Once you enter it, you don't need to exit it. That's that's called the stickiness of this. Uh, so you referred you've referred I think to debt as that's why we need this debt because that's how you take debt. You don't need to. And I think I think we all uh, agree that this debt either has has either to be kind of somehow derived from or backed by ETH or a derivative of ETH or something related to ETH. But not necessarily something external like uh, USDC or USDT. With all due respect to those, of course, they they have obviously solved solved a big, a huge problem, and 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 they're proved to be resilient uh, to 
to as as resilient as as you can expect from something centralized. Uh, but for for this uh, for for our ecosystem to continue growing, we need a stable coin, and we haven't really yet cracked this. Um, and um, and I, I was that's why I'm personally excited about Curve USD as a primitive that's being tested right now, despite all the the fuss around it. And I understand it because of the lack of communications around it. And and these these guys are, you know. OGs, they don't communicate much, which is, I think, important. They're testing it on production, which I really respect. I think that's the best way to <laughs> to test it before it becomes something. I'm excited about that. Uh, um, I'm excited about fixed rate uh, uh, interest uh, lending. I'm excited about it. Uh, I think uh, it, there is there is a, a big market. I'm not sure how big it is going to be, but uh, it should be, um, you know, should be something uh, important. Uh, um, I'm also excited about the order book, uh, uh, not AMMs, I would say, order book exchanges, like uh, uh, Carbon uh, from the Bancor team has released something I think we needed. We need kind of like a, basically a, a, a way to match these sellers and buyers and on all like in, in, in that way on chain. So also, you, you know, we so any, any kind of reliance on Anything off chain would be great. I think there are two exciting areas to work on. One of them is the curve. Uh, I'm sorry, the stablecoin, and the other one is oracles. Still, we've, we have not figured that 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 out. We're still addic- addicted to centralized solutions. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think I think like the problem with like a lot of oracles and a lot of like anything that touches off chain is that. Like the technology is still like the math is still being written and like, um, you know, and I think like we need to make a lot of progress on like ZK proofs to have any expectation that um, we can basically like trustlessly communicate in and out of Ethereum um, with any like reasonable like security guarantees or speed or anything. But anyway, keeping us within the realm of um, like lending in DeFi. So one of the things that I find like particularly interesting about the Curve USD and how that's going to change everything is that um, we're changing the the fundamental like liquidation engine of debt in when in this like um, what they call like the llama or like but the, in the Curve USD form right because when you take debt um, let's say on Maker and you draw closer and closer to liquidation and then you hit that point and then you get liquidated, basically your entire collateral chunk is sold into the open market. Um, and that, that might be more of a, I, anyway, point is like, that's how traditional lending works, right? And with the like curve USD with the llama construction, you're continuously changing your collateral position to be more stable as your volatile asset goes down. And like what that does is um, like takes out these like massive sort of Damocles like chunks that um, can like completely change the market and like move into like bigger problems, right? And so one, I think that, um, well, I'll take a pause here and, and let you guys um, weigh in. Do you think that this like is as big a deal as I is in, in transforming how liquidity flows through the system in these like moments of um, high volatility? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, that's you. You hit it right on the nail, right? I mean, I think that's a, the most incredible part about Curve USD is actually that its liquidation engine, um, and uh, I think that also something that is worth noting that I think is really cool is you're removing kind of an off-chain component because, uh, well, not removing it, but you're swapping it over to uh, a different uh, off-chain component, which is you know order matching essentially. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Like if, if you have loans that essentially liquidate you for nothing. Um, then you know liquidations all of a sudden don't become so bad, and users might not want to be able, uh, might not want to avoid it, which will only bring more traffic to uh, lending. Um, and I, I see it as an absolute win. We still, I honestly still don't understand uh, all the details or or the possibilities of uh, of it, but I I see that it fixes a lot of user experience issues, um, uh, and I can see. Uh, pure versions of uh, of it uh, being very successful uh, as successful as as how much liquidity uh, available so right right now i, I can see that uh, you can you can actually use you can mint because of this 
gradual liquidation or this this uh, you don't have to liquidate much you really don't need super super high liquidity uh, available in the pool to 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 liquidate however the price uh, manipulation uh, is still uh, and it still might be an issue um, uh, because of you know so many so many reasons so still many many components but I think it's uh, yes it will provide a lot of uh, yeah it fixes a lot of user user experience uh, issues so when you guys as a lending protocol yourself like see this kind of new primitive and this new innovation on like how lending is even possible when you see it come down the pipeline um, because we're in ethereum because we're in open source world i'm going to assume that like that that's an exciting thing and we all think of like how can we build on top of it um, but I guess, I guess the, the direct question is like when you see specifically Curve USD and like the changes that um, it can do to lending, like how do you think about taking some of those like lessons and some of those features and integrating them into your protocol? Uh, well, we're still, uh, it's still being tested right now. That's why yeah, yeah. I'm really excited <laughs> about it. Let's be clear. It's uh, but, like four uh, days old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I, from a user, from a user's perspective, if uh, I would like to have, I would like to see lending markets uh, where uh, the counterpart uh, to you, the one lending you, basically we're lending you a stablecoin, and this stablecoin, I would like to uh, to have like a pure version, either minted by ETH or some LSD that is less decentralized, uh, less centralized. Um, and that can scale something like LUSD uh, probably, but uh, but I, I, I think uh, there might be less pressure. Maybe uh, Joshua understands a lot about, or Tenzent understands a lot about uh, the mechanism of LUSD. I haven't really delved into it much, but I think this uh, this type of liquidation doesn't put a lot of pressure on on, on, on the peg upward probably, or, or something like that. Uh, so you'd still, you'd, you wouldn't probably have like curve USD equal $1, but it will hover around a dollar, which is great. Uh, and then uh, you don't have to worry a lot about uh, liquidation um, or uh, like swings in, 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 in price. So maybe this will scale without having to create, to, to create the so, so sophisticated, you know, mechanisms to stabilize the peg. You just need, uh, uh, to create use cases for it, and and the more it gets bored out, uh, probably it will stabilize it. Uh, uh, pretty pretty much, uh, I would say, uh, like die the version, the first version of it, which was ETH, pure ETH, but it was like benefiting also from from die being in all these pools and and, and stabilizing it. So uh, I would say a use case that I would say I would like to have. Uh, in our lending protocol is, is have it as actually a bridge asset if if the mechanism proves to be uh, solid uh, and instead of um, like USDC the one we have right now on Arbitrum um, and if it's liquid enough obviously it has to be super liquid so you can liquidate um, the, if you liquidate the the, the curve USD uh, in a direct way so it'll have to be uh, yeah so that that's why I, I I'm excited about it now as far as liquidation engine uh, yeah we can I can we can think about so many uh, use cases uh, um, uh, about it but I I think uh, uh, what I like about was something that I'm, I'm I'm looking at exactly is having this stablecoin primitive so you can mint this stablecoin in any way in any by you know using any collateral and as long as this collateral is liquid. You probably have a stable stablecoin, uh, and and this ability uh, you can think of. Uh, you can create basically stablecoins that appeal to uh, with a varying degree of, of risk. It could be something minted by super risky collateral all the way to very very stable ones. That isolated stablecoins. Isolated stablecoins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a it's a great idea. Why not? I mean, well, I so, got it. I think you open up a can of worms in like a, di a million different directions which we can go. I think um, I think like one one thing that is like we are a little bit like lost with like this term stablecoin because of like its association with like money and dollars and all of this stuff. But like one way to think of what a stablecoin is is really just like a protocol that is gathering as much TVL as possible. And then is realizing like, hold on, 
like the whole point of DeFi is like composability and like the ability, like basically what a stable coin is, is you projecting your TVL out back into the e ecosystem without like releasing it from your protocol. And so I like definitely see that like, if you stop thinking of like stable coins as this like money that like protocols are just like creating out of thin air and more like a receipt for the value that like is backed by that protocol, then, you know, like a lot of these concepts around um, like every protocol having a stable coin and like Curve being the beating heart of DeFi, like become like a lot more, um, let's say digestible. <laughs> so. I don't know if that resonates with any um, of like the way that you think. And, um, you know, I know that Silo does mint a stable coin. And so I don't know. Do you have any like philosophical thoughts on um, like what stable coins are and what they mean to you? And we're not, uh, we, we, we did the stable coin. So V1 is all about experimentation for us. We're experimenting. Obviously, the core business is, is lending. Uh, we needed this uh, stable coin to see what works, what doesn't work, and how we can learn from it for the future versions. Uh, I, uh, we are pretty much, uh, we all for decentralized ones. So I would like, I would love to, to probably promote one with fully decentralized. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. As far as so, I think a stable coin has to be relatively stable, but also. Most importantly, decentralized because of any 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 reason. I mean, um, uh, uh, you don't want a, a centralized entity controlling it. But as far as user experience, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't really worry about much about the peg. You shouldn't worry about uh, the liquidity backing it. You shouldn't worry about all these uh, things. And it's a it's a long way for Curve USD to build that. That's why uh, USDC is sticky today, and USDT is super sticky because they're everywhere, Extre uh, everywhere you you go, and it's very liquid. Uh, so exchanging hundreds of millions of dollars, like in even spot, doesn't really change anything. So it can always redeem it, and that's that's something we might. Uh, I don't know if we'll have that soon with a decentralized one, but that's what stablecoin should do. I mean, we've we've experienced this in our protocol. We know the limitation of our stablecoin that fell short of of what we uh, had theorized for it. So the stablecoin is like you're totally sunsetting it. Should we like not really continue down that route? And no, no, we we're continuing absolutely. But uh, I'm saying that uh, it uh, it's not like where the energy of the protocol is. Yeah, no, I mean like it uh, it it has its own problems. For example, it's not super liquid today. So if you want to ex exchange uh, exchange it to USDC, uh, well, price impact will will always uh, hit you. Uh, so its design uh, has flaws. Uh, now, uh, is there going to be a second version? Yes. Uh, better version, absolutely. So that's why the, we created it. And I think uh, uh, it, it, the biggest challenge is to create deep liquidity for the stable coin uh, at the peg. And that is the biggest challenge, really. Now, obviously, uh, this type of um, nascent liquidation mechanism that uh, 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 the, llama, uh, liquid, the llama liquidation is, is, is great because Probably you don't need super deep liquidity uh, for uh, basically kind of you, you don't need that much at the peg uh, the, uh, liquidity, but we still don't know. But the question is, like, how, how are you going to uh, build uh, deep liquidity for one version of those stable coins to become the main stable coin? That is a biggest challenge, because otherwise, if it's not liquid, users are not going to use it. And what do you do with it, really? So let's say today you minted this curve. You minted five million of them. What do you do with it, really? I do think that that is like the problem that we have, right? Is that like, look, why do I hold USDC over every other stablecoin, including Tether, right? But that I hold USDC not because like it is the most stable, which it, it is, right? I hold USDC because like I genuinely believe that like if I need to get out of crypto because like the government's coming for me, like USDC will be the route out. Right. Like, I don't, I don't believe that, like, the government is going to go after Circle and be like, we're taking the, the $80 billion that is underlying here. And like everyone who thought that they had good receipts, even though we told you it was legal, like, you know, I, I believe that if the government is like coming after um, crypto, like 
you, you know, they'll have good. Picks. You still have like the the like institutions and the people who like followed the rules that are going to be like the appropriate ways to get ourselves out. And I think the problem that we have in DeFi is that like, in order for our money to be useful, it has to get out. And like the reason I don't hold any like decentralized stablecoin like LUSD or whatever, it's because nobody in the world is going to take my LUSD. Like it's only good for DeFi. And so um, I, I think that like the, the big unlock that we all need is that we need like DeFi to have a purpose in the real world for like real economic activity. And like that solves like a lot of these problems. And like AJ, your point exactly that like we need people to take out debt so that like they're stuck around in DeFi. But the problem is like the only reason to take out debt is either to continue gambling on DeFi or to take it out of DeFi. <laughs> Um, and so I think like that is like kind of the chicken and the egg problem that we're in right now. And so sorry, that was a little yeah. uncoherent because of my like point about escaping the system through USDC. But the bottom line is like this, the problem to stable coins as a like philosophical concept is that like it's all well and good. We just need them to be actually useful <laughs> and like you can continue to make them useful in DeFi. We just need them to be useful outside of DeFi. Uh, um, seems like seems like you have some pushback. <laughs> no, no, it's... not at all. Actually, I, w I was thinking about two things. What if you, let's say you have a building today uh, downtown San Francisco, and this building is worth uh, is worth hundred million dollars, uh, and this is uh, probably the kind of the polar opposite of let's say Curve US, USD minted uh, uh, backed by ETH, purely by ETH, right? These two worlds. So one of them is utilizing the real world assets, and which is great topic to even to cover here and uh, let's say there is a blackrock type or, or maybe blackrock says like hey this is a stable coin right now and we're going to mint it against this building we you know mint maybe 10 million or 100 million and they go uh, and create your um, erc20 token minted or backed by this building and they have all the legalities around it let's say have a legal framework around it and they uh, they enter uh, DeFi and they create 100 million dollar pool or 200 million dollar pool uh, on curve 100 million this nascent uh, you know uh, stablecoin and 100 million usdc or even whatever that is now you've all of a sudden you've created actually a an uh, a stable coin uh, that is minted by by this real world asset so you've you've got that now uh, uh, yes that will have users users will probably some users will trust it some user will simply transfer that trust because they trust this company backing it right all these reports or maybe they would in DeFi we try we as much as we don't like trust but we actually use trust all the time because you know we think things are going to continue to be okay right uh, I I don't know if that's okay if that's a good stablecoin to be honest with you I don't know versus a stablecoin backed by by Eve the question is about who is taking the risk and 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 uh, do you do we understand the risk uh, and I think DeFi should be open to both worlds honestly. This, uh, this idea of canceling each other, that's just, uh, weird for me. It's like, okay, that's USDC. Don't use it. It's not, yes, okay, great. If you don't, well, if, if you really don't trust the centralized uh, version of stablecoin, you shouldn't be in DeFi altogether then. Well, I think you, um, th you this train of thought um, makes me think of CBDCs, you know, because like the, the way people intellectually engage with CBDCs, it's like, you know, <laughs> It is anathema to Ethereum. And like, if, if a CBDC exists, it means like the world is a darker place. And like, I don't know. I mean, I think that like exactly what you're saying, like if you, you should be able to mint a stable coin against a real world asset, like the government should be able to mint a stable coin. Like the, these are all just like digital assets and like we should all be happy about that. You can choose to use it or not, but we should all be happy about it because like, where do you think you exchange and like settle and use digital assets? I'll give you a hint. Right now it's like four chains. In the future, it's going to be one, <laughs> Ethereum. <laughs> and well, plus roll -ups. And the L2s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I really think is like kind of worth putting out there, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, is like I'm a believer that the, the closer we get to like true Ethereum, the more likely it is that like real people will actually never touch this stuff. 
And like let curve USD is a perfect example where like I could totally imagine a world where like in the real world, like no humans are actually like minting curve USD and like trying to use that at the grocery store to buy apples or whatever. Like curve USD, all of these things, they're like they're communication layers for smart contracts, which are just autonomous computer programs. And like I, I can just totally imagine a world where just like grandma like has never thought about like her SSL certificate before she sends her email. Like no one will ever think about like the curve USD representation of value as they like go by their house. They'll just buy their house. Well, that's because of regulations, right? Probably because there's a an environment of, of you know of, of trust that was created by by regulating the industry, and I think that's probably what we need. Uh, I think uh, uh, it, it's and I'm not saying so. Here's the problem: with regulating without using, losing your privacy seems extremely like you know tricky to achieve. Number one, number two, yes, with governments having their own stable coins, all of a sudden they'll uh, they'll probably even spin their own blockchains actually, and all of a sudden you're using a decentralized version of a blockchain that is actually not decentralized. But yeah, but but that's honestly the, the deeper question is, are we ready as as humans today? Do we do we have the, the mental capacity to understand what it takes to be a free human? I mean, do we really value freedom? Honestly speaking, I mean, we're still, I mean, I'm not gonna talk philosophy much because probably <laughs> I tend to talk uh, a lot about that, but uh, are we really, do we really care about freedom? I mean, aren't we all still children, uh, like always looking for this father figure to kind of belong to whatever that, be it a government or Elon Musk or, uh, or, or, or Mitch, uh, from Curve, although he's not posing himself like that, but we we just say that like, oh, he's going to be the best video. example in our space. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We thought exactly um, yeah. uh, because so because if you if you think about it, uh, you know this decentralization. I think the best thing about it is not necessarily it's because it's decentralized because a lot of DeFi is not actually decentralized. It's actually the transparency. Just simply in the open, at least there's a, a great level of, of transparency in the settlements and all uh, the the the, the uh, atomic version of, of this stuff. Uh, but yeah, um, so I. But but still, so I don't know if if our if, if uh, the group of users us what that care about those things. The couple of millions of people out of the mm -hmm. uh, like eight nine billion people. Maybe that's it. Maybe for now. Maybe it'll take 50, 100 years to actually get there, to get to a point where humans will start demanding decentralization, demanding transparency, demanding uh, 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 those solutions, or demanding sovereignty, basically. But, but I don't think we're sovereign yet. No, I mean, I, we're, we're objectively not sovereign. And I think what we all just learned in this last week from Ledger is that even of, uh, this, that, uh, even of us that think that we're sovereign are not sovereign. <laughs> Right. Um, and I think that, like, I think your points on philosophy are, like, very, very true. And, like, you know, I, I think some people listening might take issue with them, but I do not. Like, I very much agree that, like, they're, like, these ideas of, like, you know, being truly free and stuff are sound good on paper, but are not, like, really part of what the human experience want. And what we want is, like, community and dependence on each other and, like, to... <laughs> To, to build together, which is the opposite of freedom. Um, and so I'm with you 100%. The, the only point I was actually trying to make was that I think that we're dealing with like technology that's so early and nascent right now that we're like actually tinkering with the wires. And as we get further and further like down the development rabbit hole, it's just like these, you know, Protocols like um, Curve or like Uniswap will be like so deep down under the hood and so abstracted away by like layers and like, you know, like I doubt in 10 years, I doubt anyone will ever deposit into Silo. I bet they'll be on their Chase app and like the Chase will be say, here's your centralized rate and here's your decentralized rate. And then through the decentralized rate, they'll really be getting that from a decentralized aggregator that is showing that Silo is like the best rate for this tranche of capital. And like, 
that's the point, right? Like that's the point of composability and computer science and like everything that we're, we're what we're trying to build here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'd agree with that vision as well of uh, the middleware kind of taking center stage uh, for DeFi uh, even, even soon, right, in the, in the near term. Um, and that should be the end goal for DeFi, right? Now let's remove the financial component from the financial industry and let's just make them run an app, right? And run a front end. Uh, and, you know, and then you could get the benefit, the huge benefit of transparency. No, for sure. And yeah, I think like just to just tweak what you said a little bit, it's like, let's take the finance out of this so that we can focus on like applications and users and like, people that want to do something and not just like continue to like dig into docs so that they can like justify further and further leverage on the thing that they've already like drinking the Kool-Aid on. Right. Cause that, that's basically what DeFi is today. I, I, I think dependency or interdependency is actually quite good in, in, in society. Uh, and that's not the opposite of freedom, I think. Uh, so I, I see that, but then, so, Here's what what I think like it's a and we we see that all the time in blockchain. If there's a community that believe uh, that happen to believe in common like uh, you know values, and they build together, they all benefit from building together. Uh, although each one of them should remain independent as far as exiting or entering that community and 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 preserving all the there's no any type of oppression. There's no type of uh, of coercion in that relationship. I think. Uh, that's the, the highest level of, of freedom uh, you, not because you need people, but you or actually, we need each other or, uh, as humans, um, uh, you, you, you basically uh, build together because that's what DeFi is. Uh, and this is what, that's why I don't understand uh, the, the narrative is about canceling each other out. Like, Hey, if I succeed, there's, there's always be a one winner. That's, DeFi has proven to be the opposite of that because it's actually reality is just one big super app uh, uh, that happens that this app has to connect to the real world and the real world is controlled by governments and regulations that and, and, and then you have we have to figure this out man okay so I am definitely taking that as like one of my favorite exercises is like what's the most reductive way that you could describe Ethereum and like you know, the go-to example is out of the Bitcoin white paper. It's just a timestamp server, right? But I, I think, AJ, you just dropped my new favorite one, which is it's just one big super app. <laughs> um, but and I, and I think that um, I think you're totally right. And I think, uh, yeah, I, uh, for me, like Ethereum is just like the property layer of the Internet and like that's super cool and that's interesting. And like all this decentralization, like the whole point of all of this is just to like kind of embed property into the internet. And like, I think it's really important to recognize that that offers like capabilities around freedom and choice. And like, look, my in-laws are Russian, like still live in Moscow. I've been dealing with like US sanctions for the first time in my life. Um, I was, I went in 2015, I was on the first train of Americans into Iran after the, um, after the nuclear deal was signed. Like I very much believe in Ethereum because of like the pain and horror that financial sanctions can cause. And so I'm like a huge believer in that freedom. But I also think that we have a tendency to like forget that we are humans in the real world that like need to eat and like drive on roads that are safe and like you know, make sure that there's not arsenic in the water. And the goal here should be to like figure out how we can create systems that make everything better and not um, just like think that we're smarter and better and different than like 400,000 years of evolution that has like led to this moment. And so, um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, man, I'll, I, any, any responses? I'm not really sure how we got here from isolated lending markets. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, so so how we got to I think the I'm gonna add to this isolated lending market. It's just another tool in DeFi uh, to stay in DeFi, and because I I believe uh, I've mentioned uh, in this conversation the underserved communities, underserved communities. So I have this uh, token asset, I I cannot use it. It's simply mm -hmm. and and lending is 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 a great uh, uh, tool 
uh, not just to leverage, but also it's sticky because you want uh, to keep using, you want to keep owning this token. Actually, we own silo tokens and uh, there is no utility for it right now as a, other than LPing. You can LP, but not every user is going to LP, uh, but I would love to use it as, as lending. Now, I don't know if there's someone out there that is going to give me ESDC or ETH so I could pay them interest and take that. Uh, but at least with the isolated lending market, maybe there are a hundred people that was that are willing to give me that. So at least you've created that. That basically, so it's basically making DeFi extensible a bit more, uh, as as a first step for us as as builders of a protocol is still in exploration mode. So this is what people forget in DeFi. They want their like their project to be the top fifty like right away. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or top 100. Not everyone will make it to top 100, but sometimes you create a lot of utility for a bunch of users and, and you've done your your, your work, really, uh, right? As long as you keep building. And so that's how I see DeFi. DeFi is still probably 10, 15 years away from, from what, where we want it. But, and, and you were you're absolutely right as far as, uh, like, you just don't want to see this shit. They want to see this infrastructure at all. I don't want to know if it's decentralized or centralized. Just give me a user interface and, and let me swap A to B. Uh, and I don't care if one is on Arbitrum, another one is on, I don't know, it could be on, on even totally different blockchain. Yeah, no, and I, I think um, that is a perfect pivot to like kind of what I would like to talk about with our closing few minutes here, which is um, when you think about like the Ethereum or the DeFi endgame, like what does that world look like? And um, you know, you can answer that from the perspective of Silo and like what what the role of um, Silo or borrowing is in a robust ecosystem, or what it looks like in the real world, but. Um, AJ, what you just said is that we're like 10 to 15 years from like DeFi being mature. And like what I have to say is like, we're 10 to 15 years before like Ethereum is actually like usable for things in the real world. And, you know, that comes from like an understanding of the Ethereum roadmap, you know, and dank sharding and light clients and like all of these things that are coming that really like change what is on the table. And so, um, again, with our last few minutes, I'd just like to hear from e- from both of you, like when you look forward and think about like what we are all contributing to, to bring the world computer and to bring DeFi online, what what is that world that you're pushing us towards? Uh, universal financial freedom. That's what I think this should be about. And uh, fortunately, along the I don't know if we're going to get there because of <laughs> humans are greedy. All of us tend to be greedy and tend to grab to power if we get, even if you are a founder of a, of a DeFi protocol, you're still that human. You're not different from someone taking um, a, a, an office uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a powerful government. Universal freedom, yes. I would want someone anywhere in the world to have access at least to some sort of this some of the uh, things that we enjoy in, in, in some of the countries. And, uh, well, and uh, this... Is... Can I ask you specifically, like, what does universal financial freedom mean to you? Because I have an idea in my head, but... Um... The possession of a, uh, a, a, a currency that is not controlled by a single entity and that every human being has the right to use it uh, and it does not lose value because of circumstances that are uh, that are out of our control as, as individuals. Um, and you can transact with it, you can own it, you can transact with it. Uh, and and all the uh, uh, tools around it, like lending and borrowing, and uh, and and so so technically you could use it to buy and sell and 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 transact and trust it. Uh, that is the missing piece right now because even if you are if you live in a in a, in a remote country and you have means you're you're free human uh, as as free as possible individually let's say you're you're willing to make decisions in your life and you're happier uh, but you still happen to live in a country where this currency has devalued thirty or forty percent or or whatever because of a certain reason. That's that gonna that's gonna going to limit your your freedom. So that's what I mean. Like what I mean with with the 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 freedom for the human freedom, we need some sort of a financial freedom. 
Yeah, and I, I, what I basically end up saying to every person I'm speaking to is that, like, Americans experience crypto differently because for Americans, what what we see is like, oh, imagine like the possibilities and the capabilities and like how much better the world could be. And so we should try to build crypto. And what huge swaths of the world see is like, oh my God, I have problems today, whether it's inflation or capital control or like fleeing violence. And like crypto provides answers to real people today. And I think um, what you're saying is that DeFi needs to get to a place where it's providing them just as much to a Westerner who wants to do like forward looking things as like someone who like just cares about like getting food on the table for their family. Yeah. And, and if, if there's, if the theme of the last 20 years has been about owning the means of production yourself, because you're a YouTuber or you're whatever that you're online freelancer, you still, you need this financial, you need this tool in order to, to have this control over your life, like to have actually freedom in your life, not control. It's, it's about actually being free. So uh, means of production on its own is not enough because someone can hijack it. Beautiful, man. That is mm. so good. The, what you're, uh, well, I just have to repeat it and then Tenzin, I'll let you go. But what you just said is that like we just spent 20 years democratizing like the tools of earning money, whether that's like YouTube or content creation or whatever. But it is not enough to be able to generate the money, you need to actually own it and then have sovereignty in the system for it to mean anything. And like, I've never thought of it that way. AJ, like that's beautiful. And is even more why like Ethereum and crypto is just like the natural evolution of the internet. Like this is just the internet. Exactly, exactly what we need. It's exactly what hopefully will, that, that's why I'm excited about the curve USD because I'm thinking like, well, at least it's gonna give me like a, a, a a niche. If I believe in ETH, I'll, I'll, maybe I can transact within that world. And that's why I think lending is important to that because we want to give it uh, uh, this utility. Yeah. Awesome. Tenzin, what what does uh, the DeFi endgame look like for you? Yeah. Um, hard to follow up, uh, Aham, but uh, <laughs> absolutely, you know, I agree and, you know, always love everything he has to say. So, um, but I would say that for me, right, if our endgame looks like if, the one vulnerability that I see kind of like in the system right now is all of us, when when you came in and you first bought crypto, you had to go through a centralized exchange and there had to be this kind of third party. And in a certain extent, this is what a CBDC w will maybe for, uh, fix, depending on how they set it up. Uh, but it's uh, the ability to transfer cash directly into the regular system without any uh, sort of barriers or, you know, KYC. Um, that would be the end game for uh, like translating money uh, or you know transmitting money around um, and then for lending really I think we need to remove uh, all of the centralized points of failure that we currently have and that currently exist in most other DeFi systems that um, that work to an extent with you know calculating prices and stuff like that like oracles uh, we need to create not just a, a decentralized one but also it has to be tamper proof um, because you know Uniswap v3 oracles can be great uh, but they can all be exploited, right? Every single one of them can be exploited. It's just mm -hmm. about how much money it costs. Um, mm. And um, yeah, so removing that, uh, removing the, the reliance on, on bots and, you know, um, yeah, that, that's probably what I would say. Um, but I, yeah. I wholeheartedly connect also with the uh, idea of um, bringing financial freedom to the outside world because I'm, I'm from uh, a third world country as well. But um, and my, my buddies uh, who live in Argentina uh, very much feel this, and, and this is the reason they use crypto. And they didn't know anything about crypto before, uh, but they take their pesos, they turn them into dollars in USDT or USDC, uh, and then that's how they manage to you know retain value and not get completely ripped off. Yeah, no, it tends. I mean, I definitely appreciate your second answer, which was essentially like DeFi endgame just needs to be like more stable and more um, just secure and robust and um thank you for coming up with another answer but just like for the audience and like like ten, the reason tencent and i know each other is because um like my fiance was basically raising money to do um medical care for like people in panama that have like never even seen like a, a dentist chair before and um tencent not only like gave like by far the biggest contribution but like we've just bonded over like 
what it why we're even here on this planet and like what we can do like with our time and our resources and like again like all of us are here outside of the western financial system for a reason and um a lot of us are here because we got betrayed for whatever reason and a lot of us are here because like we see the opportunity to like change people's lives and like i can say without a shadow of a doubt after speaking with these two men for an hour like that is like we're here to change the world and like these two guys are here to make sure that like everyone has access to um, the financial tools you need to thrive in the modern world and um you know it's conversations like these and teams like these that like remind me why it's uh, important to stick around so um you guys thank you so much for the time i really appreciate it i really appreciate the thoughts and um you know it's not often that you can start with a what's your DeFi protocol and end on why are we here and what does freedom mean? So, so appreciate it. Thank exactly. you for the time. And then, yeah, man, thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you for much for having us, Rex. Uh, always a pleasure talking.